thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing that it is to be able to sit and to hear your word and to be taught and to be uh, taught from your word and to hear the Holy Spirit speak to us. And so, Father, we thank you right now. We ask that you would give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Lord, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Father, that we might know what is the hope of your calling, the glory of the riches of the inheritance of the saints, and, Lord, what is the greatness, the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe your word. Father, we ask right now that the Holy Spirit, Lord, the great teacher, the, the revealer of truth, would come and be in this service, Lord, anoint this teaching. Father, that we could just have truth revealed to us. Father, I thank you for the hearts of the people that are good ground, that receive the seed of the word and bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. We thank you, Lord, that you confirm your word with signs following. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this evening we're uh, uh, continuing. This We're on part two of a series we started last week on uh, the, the threefold nature of man or a three-part being. And just to give you a quick review, you know, last week we, uh, we talked about um, that the real you is a spirit. You, the real you is a spirit. You read through the Bible, you know, and Paul in a lot of his epistles, he say, I will do this. I do this to my body. And we'll look at some of these scriptures this evening because the real you is your spirit. And so you, you have a spirit. We'll, we'll look at this. It's, uh, we'll look at one of our key texts that we have. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, verse 23. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And then we looked at the other one over in uh, Genesis. Uh, you know, We talked about how uh, that uh, God created man in his likeness and in his image. And we, met, and we looked at last week, we mentioned how the Bible teaches plainly that, uh, that God, there's God the Father. We can see this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 uh, and 2. It says, in the beginning, God created, and we understand that's God the Father was the creator, the heavens and the earth, and darkness covered the face of the deep. He said, and the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters, right, when God spoke. Hallelujah. The Lord was ministering some stuff to me today while we was having a time of prayer with uh, me and Pastor Earl having a time of prayer with another pastor here in town. Do you realize that the same Holy Spirit, this is just a little nugget. Same, I won't get off on this rabbit trail too long. But the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the face of the deep and waited for the word of God to be spoken before he created the earth, that same Holy Spirit, he's still on the earth, and he's still waiting for the word of God that you can speak to create things in your life. Amen. Well, it makes you want to do more speaking of the right thing, don't it? Amen. I don't think there's any shortage of speaking. I think we'd probably need to start speaking more of the right stuff, right? Because the Holy Spirit don't respond to your words. He don't respond to the devil's words. He responds to God's word. Amen. And you realize it's God's word, whether he's speaking in himself or you're repeating what God said. Hallelujah. But we see that there was God the Father, the Creator. There was the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the deep. And this is the thing. When God spoke, we see God the Word. And John chapter 1 tells us, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's that talking about? That's talking about Jesus. So we see just in those first few verses of Genesis that God created man in his likeness and his image. And so we see that man is this three-part being that we're comprised of three distinct and recognizable components. The real you is your spirit, right? And we talked a little bit last week. We, we went on last week talking a little bit that your spirit is that eternal part of you that receives the things of God. And we may go back after we touch base on the body and soul 
and begin to look at some things about developing the human spirit or growing up spiritually, things you can do. But you understand this, that your spirit, you know, before you became born again, you were spiritually dead. I think I used the term last week, you were dead man walking. That, you know, when God breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils, the, the Bible literally says that God breathed into Adam's nostrils and he became a, an alive, breathing creature. And so that when Adam ate the fruit, he did die. He was still a breathing creature. And, how, and I emphasize, and I want us to make sure we get this, that God's definition of alive is a lot different than ours. Because we would think just if something's breathing and it has a pulse, it's alive. But no, God's definition of alive means my, your spirit is alive and connected to my spirit. And we read this uh, in 1 Corinthians. We gave you this scripture last week in 1 Corinthians where it talked about that the, the natural man or the unregenerated or the spiritually dead man cannot receive the things of God. Why? Because your spirit's dead. So when we become born again, we become alive unto God, then we're able and we get filled with the Holy Ghost, then we begin to be able to receive the things of God and uh, and we can we can know the will of God. I mean, if we can know the will by looking at the Word, but the revealed will of God by the Spirit, we can begin to have again. Why? Because you're spiritually alive again. And, and so this week, I want to take a look uh, at the body. Uh, you know, I was getting ready to share with Brother Kirk before we started. I was studying and meditating on it this morning, and you know, and the appropriate order of the Scripture says, I pray, God, that your whole spirit, soul, and body would be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm still, I wanted to go with the order of spirit, body, soul, because so much, I want to give a little extra attention to soul because so much hinges upon it. Um, you know, in, in, any posi- in anything where there are three parties involved and three parties have input into decisions, um, if there's equal representation... Like in government, two-thirds majority rules, right? Two-thirds majority rules. In your, in your body, in, in your being, okay, not your body, in your being, though, two-thirds majority will rule. And you need to understand this. When you become born again, your spirit becomes born again. Your spirit that was dead unto God becomes alive. And your spirit always, if, you're, if a person's really born again, now some people would say they're born again, but you understand this, you know, the proof's in the pudding, right? But if you're genuinely born again, your spirit man always wants to do what is pleasing to the Father. Now that's not going to say you're never going to sin, but it's going to say your spirit man never wants to because your spirit's alive under God. You've become a new creature. You've got a new nature on the inside. You're not content just to do things that satisfy you and make you happy that violates God's law. So your spirit is always wanting to do the things that please God. And then your flesh, you understand this, that this earth suit right now, the last thing that's going to be redeemed in God's plan of redemption is our, our corruptible bodies are going to be sown in weakness, raised in power. There's going to be a new body, and so that sinful nature that is actually in the flesh, because the flesh itself does have a sinful nature, and it has desires, and it wants things. And your vo- and your, and we'll talk about this. Your flesh has a voice. Amen? How many of you have figured out your flesh will talk to you? That alarm clock go off in the morning, and your flesh will say, hit that snooze bar five times. That's what your flesh will say, right? You go, to, you go out, uh, you know, uh, you'll want to eat, go someplace to eat, and your flesh will say, I'll oh, go to the buffet five times, right? Because that's good, right? Your flesh will talk to you. Uh, 
uh, other areas of, of your life that I won't mention because we have children in the room that your body will crave and say, oh, if with one person's good, just hook up with a bunch of people, right? And go around, and, and, you're, and, and lots of people, they're carried away in their flesh because of that, amen? And a lot of us, I see some of you cringing because that's so foreign to us now, right? Because our minds have been renewed to the point that we don't, but, your fle- but people's flesh, it'll talk to you, right? So, and the flesh always wants to do what gratifies the flesh, what makes the flesh feel good, you know, and, and then you've got this guy in the middle of your soul, and so two-thirds of joy. One wants to do what's contrary to God. One wants to do what's pleasing to the Father. And you've got the guy that's going to cast a deciding vote in the middle, and that's your soul, your mind, your will, your intellect, and your emotions. And that's why it's so important to renew that. Okay, And we're not talking about soul tonight, but I want to say that. And so, and so I was thinking I want to give special emphasis to talking about the soul next week because I was thinking it's the deciding factor. It's the most important. When I was thinking about that and I was meditating on this morning, the, the Lord spoke to me, and he, sa- he said, that is very important. He said, but so is the body. One's not any more important than the other. And I got to check on it. I began to meditate on it, and I said, okay, Lord, you got you, know, you to tell me. He said, because a person can have a born-again spirit that always wants to please God. You can have a mind that is renewed. Because how many of you all know you're never going to reach the point where in, in this life where your mind is 100% renewed and there's no place for improvement, right? Paul said, look, not that I've already attained. Paul was telling you, look, and if Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, is still saying, look, i got some improvement to go, and i got some things I need to change still, how many of y'all are we going to, right? But you can have someone who has got a born-again spirit who wants to please God, who has a renewed mind and has the desire to continue to renew their mind, to think more like God. But if they have this if in their body, they leave things unchecked and unrestrained, they can cut their lifespan short by decades, and, and it will affect their ability to fulfill their assignment in the kingdom on the earth. And so, really, you cannot say that one is any more important than the other because they are all uh, interconnected. And, and, the, and the thinking, and I can tell you where that thinking came from for me, it's rooted back in the old paradigm of, well, you know, at least if you die early, at least you get to go to heaven. That's where that was rooted out for me. When really, how many of you know God wants you here, he, and he wants you on the earth? He said, did Jesus say that his followers were the salt of the earth. Did he say, and we understand, salt, it's the preservative. It's a, you realize that the church, how bad are things in the world now? Are they bad? But you realize, think about how much worse it would be if there wasn't the voice of the church in the world today proclaiming, thus saith the Lord. Okay? God wants us on the earth. You've got an assignment on the earth in the kingdom. And so... We need to take a, I feel like we need to take a look at, at this subject of the body, and I feel like I, I want to put this disclaimer out, okay? So no one, this is not a beat you up thing, because I alluded to some stuff last week, and this is not, I don't want anybody at all feeling any condemnation about anything that I'll say, because y'all know Pastor Brian, hey, praise the Lord, right? People that live in glass, I said, I, I've lived in a glass house, so I ain't chucking no rocks, and I still got a little bit of glass I need to get shaved off the house, right? Amen? So don't take this. What I want this to do, though, is as I begin to speak these things, is that you begin to realize your assignment on the earth is too important for us to allow things that are within our control to shorten the the span of our uh, deployment on the earth in this age. Amen? You are important. You have a mission to fulfill. Rosalie has something to do in the kingdom of God that I cannot, that is not my assignment and that I couldn't do. It's specifically tailored to her. 
right? Nikki has something to do. Cindy, every one of us, you, there are no unimportant people in the kingdom, right? Pastor Earl says all the time, division is bigger than all of us, but it takes all of us. And there are no unimportant people, so you are not disposable. There's no disposable heroes in the Lord's army, right? Amen. You ever heard the term disposable heroes? There are no disposable heroes. So that being said, but that being said, if the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you about some things, don't just brush them off either. Okay? So we want to take a look at this. Um, turn, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we want to look at verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you, you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Okay? And what I want you to say is, it says, you know, the, the Bible is saying that your life is, is more than just your body and the stuff you put on it, is what Jesus is saying. But he didn't say that your body has no significance at all in your life. I mean, you see what I'm saying? He said, you don't take any worry about your life is more. Your body is a lot more than just the clothes you put on it. And there are more important things. But this is something that is significant. We've said this before. You understand that your body is, it's been set, several illustrations have been used. It is your license to operate, it is your spirit's license to operate on the earth. If your license gets revoked in the natural, right? In the natural, if you've got a driver's license and your driver's license gets revoked, right? Guess what? Legally, you don't have a right to operate a motor vehicle on the highway, right? How many of you know your body is your, because the real use your spirit, your body is your license to operate on the earth. And if your license gets revoked, you ain't driving, baby, right? You ain't even going to drive illegal. You've got to have your body. It, I, I said this before. I said this last week that you could look at the body. I, I drew the comparison uh, to uh, an example of, uh, like in the movie Men in Black, when the when the guy died and his face opened up and you, and you saw the little alien sitting in on a control seat in the head, and you began to realize that that body was just a disguised vehicle, that, but the, that the real person was the little alien sitting in the head and that the whole body was a vehicle that he used to move around. And if you'll realize that, that your body is the vehicle that the real you, your spirit, has to have to move and operate in the earth. So how important is that? Because your spirit, like I said, your spirit has an assignment and has a purpose on the earth. And the only way you're going to carry out that assignment, there is nobody that has died, their body's been stuck in a box and buried in the ground. They are not fulfilling their assignment on the earth. It is done. They got, re they got recalled, and they're not doing so. We realize that the life is more than, that your life is more than the body and the things that you put on the body, but it is a part of it. Amen? Um, 1 Corinthians, we want to take a look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 19. Now, I, I like to keep this in its context so that you realize what we're talking about because I'm going to make a point with this scripture, uh, a couple of points actually that we're going to look at. But I want us to make sure, let's, as a matter of fact, um, let's see, I'm going to back up. Um, to uh, to verse 13 and start reading there through verse 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 13 says, Foods for the stomach and the stomach for food, 
but God will destroy both of them. Now the body, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This is something that I think that a lot of us will give lip service to, but we don't really... Sometimes the full magnitude of it, and, I, and I'm included myself in this, it slips from us. Your body, your flesh, it says it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. That the, that the same God, the same person of the Godhead, that when God said, light be, moved on the face of the waters, started creation, did the work of creation, God's, the, the word, Jesus Christ, the word spoken, but the Holy Spirit acted upon God's spoken word, carried out the will. That spirit is in you. And then we want to act like there are things in our life that we can't overcome. Amen. That there's things that intimidate us that we just can't do. It's just too hard. I can't do it. What I hear, I read in my Bible where it says that I can do some things. It's not some, it's all, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And so you have, you need to realize the breath of God, the power of God, it is in you. You ought to just get yourself in the habit of waking up in the morning, looking in the mirror and going, my God is in there. Point at yourself in the mirror and say, my God is in there. The Holy Spirit, your body. He didn't say your spirit is the temple of the Holy Ghost. He said your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it says that we look on down here, uh, and this verse it said, For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You need, we need to realize it goes right back to lordship. Because we were bought with a price. God, aren't you glad that God saw you as valuable? Aren't you glad that God saw you and God said that they are worth the blood of my son Jesus? They are so valuable that I am willing to pay the price to get them back. I esteem them as valuable. But this is the thing. But when he bought you back, amen, you, you belong to him. Now, I'll say this. There will be some exceptions, but most of you have all realized this. You might drive. How many of you all know? Okay, I'm going to use this example. Um a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, uh, down in St. Augustine, Pastor Marcy needed some gas in her vehicle. She was getting ready to leave, but she was doing some stuff at the church, and she asked me. She said, Pastor Brian, would you mind please taking my truck? Um, and, no, it wasn't gas. It was windshield wiper fluid. She said, I'm getting ready to drive. She was coming up to uh, Valdosta. It was when Kingdom Institute was still in. She said, I'm getting ready to go to Valdosta. I'm out of windshield wiper fluid. I got crud all over my windshield. And I'm going to be driving west into the sun, and I'm not going to be able to see anything. 
I said, I'll, yeah, sure, I'll go get it for you. So she gave me her, her keys to her car, and I got, how many of you I got in. And now, I get in my truck, and I drive my truck careful. You know, I don't want to trash my vehicle, or I don't want to tear it up, I don't want to wreck it, I don't want to abuse it. How many of you know, you know, I hop in my car, boom, start it up, pull it down in reverse, look, look real quick, and go. Huh? Well, you know, I got in Pastor Marcy's vehicle, and I started up, and I looked, and I looked. And I looked again, and I looked again. And I pulled it down into dry or into reverse real easy. Looked again, looked again, backed it out, pulled it down into drive real slow. Come to a complete stop because, you know, it's bad on your transmission to change gears while you're rolling, right? Right? Ain't that right? Strip out some gear in your transmission if you're rolling backwards and yank it down in drive too many times, right? It's come to a complete stop, pull it down in drive. I mean, you know, sometimes I'm not that careful with my vehicle. What was the difference? I'm driving somebody else's vehicle. I want to make sure that I take care of it, that I'm, that I'm not doing anything because it has the potential to do any unforeseen harm to it. Why? Because it ain't mine. It belongs to someone else. Our bodies, our, our spirit, soul, body, we have been bought for for a price. And if we would live with the conscious realization, just like we would treat somebody else's vehicle better than what you might treat your own because you would honor that person, you need to realize, man, God owns your body. He loves you. He sees value. And God's, and just like you would treat somebody else's vehicle with greater care than you even would your own because you esteem that person, when we come to the point that we realize your body, it belongs to God. And he's got a purpose for it and your purpose on the earth. And, and if we would just look at it that way, just something as simple as something we would look at in the natural and say, man, I would treat their car better than I would treat my own because I esteem the person and respect the person who owns it. Man, nobody higher ranking in the universe exists than God, and he owns, he owns our vehicle. So do we begin to realize, when we begin to get that realization, because this is the thing you understand, the devil, man, he can get, there are so many ways that the devil can, can cause us to slip into self-destructive behaviors. Uh, and, you know, this is the thing. Smoking. Praise God! You know, someone are you? Is someone can, is a Christian going to go to hell for smoking? No, I heard somebody say one time, you know, preacher, can I smoke and go to heaven? He said, yeah, but you have to go to hell to exhale. <laughs> Amen. I'm glad y'all laughed. I thought, glory, God, I'm killing them or something. Now they're all dying or going to sleep on me or something. Amen. He said, no. He said, can I smoke and go to heaven? Yeah, but you got to go to hell to exhale, right? You understand this? <laughs> you understand that. That smoking, uh, that believers smoking is not going to send them hell. I mean, the denomination I grew up in, in West Virginia, and we had, we're in a Kentucky association, and to, Kentucky, the number one cash crop used to be tobacco. It's marijuana now, but tobacco is a close second, right? Uh, amen. That's the truth, right? You know, they used to say Kentucky's number one cash crop was was tobacco, but now it's marijuana. Okay, but but tobacco. So if we're in, you know, me and Brother Kirk, man, we grew up in, in a region. Now, Cindy, she's a Southern California girl. She's an import. But me and Kirk, we grew up in a region, man, where tobacco was the way, the, uh, was the way of life. Even here in South Georgia, people have farms with tobacco allotments. But, man, Kentucky, you hard pressed to find any place else that hangs their hat more on tobacco than what Kentucky does. Uh, and so I knew, growing up, I knew several ministers who smoked, and they were, and they were ministers and had powerful ministers, had, had, could preach a powerful word. But they smoked, and you understand? Are they, you know, are they going to go to hell now? Certainly not, certainly not. But how many of them have called, have got health problems or cut their lifespan short by years because they smoked and they didn't treat their body like 
it was God's. And realized, man, God owns this. I got to take care of this. I remember when I was on uh, staff at Dr. Huffman's church that, you know, uh, when I would, uh, you know, they would ask me sometimes, you know, you know, pastor would like to have his car uh, topped off with fuel. Uh, you know, Brother Brian, can you do that? Pastor is getting ready to go on a road trip. Could you get it? You know, could you take his car down to the car wash and clean up? And, you know, and I'd go down there and I'd want to I'd want to clean all the stuff out. I'd want to make sure it was washed up, filled up and taken good care of. Are you laughing about the joystick? Amen. 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 Yeah, I was like, hallelujah, I get to, I, 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 you know, I thought it's like, it's like the Pope Mobile to me, you know, I'm a, I'm a Protestant, it's the same as driving the Pope Mobile, driving my pastor's car, amen, but I wanted to go, when I went down, I was like, man, I, I, would, I just want to be so taken care, I want when, when he takes control of this thing, and he goes on his trip, wherever he's driving, I want it to just be immaculate, I want, and I found out he hates the little car fresheners. We used to get the little car fresheners, they, the car wash would stick them under the seat, and he would be like a bloodhound, sniffing them out, he'd get there, Smell, he'd be sniffing them out and getting them and throwing them out. He's like, I don't like those things. So then I'd take his car to the car wash, and I'd get the little car, the little free thing, because they were included in the car wash. I'd stick them in my truck. Amen? Praise God, because I didn't care. I liked the smell. But anyway, I would, I would want the vehicle to just be immaculate for him so that when he used it, there was nothing in it that would be displeasing to him. Back to our bodies as a vehicle. If we can get to the point where we would maintain our, our bodies to the point that we realize that when the true head of the church wants to step in and, and take control of it and use it, that there's nothing there's nothing hinderness from it. Amen? That we're able to walk. God owns us in our, our whole body. Amen? We want, you know, uh, 6.13, 1 Corinthians verse 16 says, Your body is not for, the, is not for sin. In other words, and I want to say this, and I'm, I, t- I hate to, I hate to sound too uh, academic-y on this, but in, in the uh, how many of y'all know there's no such thing as new heresies? You know what heresies are? False teachings, false doctrines that cause people to get off into sin is a heresy, basically. And and in the early church, there was a group of people uh, that were called the Gnostics, and they ha- and they had this that uh, I- they taught that all matter, all substance, all things of, uh, that's made out of matter is evil. And so there was two school of thoughts that came out of all matter is evil. How many know your body was made out of matter, right? So there's two thoughts. There was two schools of thought that came out. And tell me if this sounds familiar and if we still see this in the church today. Because there's nothing new under the sun, right? One school of thought for the Gnostics was, well, you know, your flesh is evil. And therefore, and this is on the handout. This is on the handout. It says your, your uh, flesh is evil. One con- uh, con- misconception was that the body is evil and it needs to be deprived of anything that brings it pleasure. And so you saw this. If you study church history, you look at the history of the church, all through the history of the church, there are these people that, oh, your body is evil and anything that brings it pleasure, you need to deprive it of it. To the point that there were entire religious communities and sects and denominations that said that you should take vows of celibacy and poverty, because how many of you know the opposite of celibacy, is, I've heard, is supposed to be pretty good, right? Amen? Amen. And all the married folk said amen, and all the brothers said hallelujah, right? So that was something that was something that was suppo- you were supposed to deprive yourself, so you would take a vow that you were going to leave that alone, right? Because why? Because the body's evil, and if that feels good, then it's evil, and we need to keep the body from having that. 
and and they would take vows of poverty, you know, because if having adequate clothing, how many of y'all know if it's cold, not like it is down here in South Georgia right now, but if it's cold in the winter, man, it's nice to have adequate clothing to keep the body warm, right, and to ha- and to have shelter. But they would say, oh, but that brings comfort and pleasure to my body, and my body's evil, so if that's pleasure, then I need to deprive myself of that. How many of y'all know that that's a misconception, and that's borderline stupidity? Not borderline, that's full-blown stupidity, right? So that was one school of thought. Anything that brings any pleasure at all to the flesh, you need to deny it because your flesh is just dirty. You're dirty old flesh, and it just feels right. Okay, so you need to deprive it. The other school of thought, now do we see that in the church today? Oh, you know, I just believe God that he wants me to get saved, but I, you know, I just, it's just going to be rough all the way to heaven. He don't want me to have nothing good just as long as I just hang on and hold out to the end. Right? And we still see that in varying degrees from lesser to greater degrees. It's still in the church today. Well, then the other extreme on on the thought of the Gnostics was, was that, yes, matter is evil, and it's really your your soul is what's been redeemed. Your, Your flesh is evil matter. And it's not going, and it's always going to be evil. So it doesn't matter what you do. So you would cast off restraint. And I think the rest of that on, the, on your handout says um, anything. Okay, it says is that the flesh is irrelevant. Your body was in, it was irrelevant, and it could go unrestrained or unchecked. Either way you want to put that, unrestrained or unchecked. So you see, you had the two extremes coming off of the same thought. Your body's evil. So therefore, anything that feels good to the body, you need to deprive the body of it to keep that evil body deprived. Right. And that was even, and that was even a perversion of a biblical truth, right? But then the other was, the other extreme was, well, the body doesn't matter anyway, so you can just do anything you want to. And how many of you know that led to people living loose? Could we see it that people would go out on Friday night and find a little hookup and find a little, little sip, sip, little, little something like that, and still go to church and get their praise on on Sunday morning, right? Yeah, we can see that. So both these, but how many of you know that? There are, those are two ditches. And there are some things, you know, we talked about, you know, the one, the opposite of celibacy, right? In the proper context, it feels good to the flesh, and it's not evil when it's put in the proper context. Take it out of the godly context, and it becomes something that can destroy you, right? Uh, You know, having adequate clothing and shelter, that brings comfort to your body. It's a good thing, but if we get to the point to where, we have the love of money and the love of things, and we get into covetousness. Then we're in then we're in sin, right? So there's a middle road, and a lot of it has to do with context. Are things in the appropriate context? Or does it have a, a, an appropriate place and standing in our life? Amen. And so, you understand this is that um, Galatians five. You know, we talk about the the the, the flesh. It, it, Galatians five nineteen through twenty one talks about. Uh, some of the the lusts of the flesh. Amen. Let's turn there real quick. So, like we said, you have to know the context and realize this: there are going to be things that, in their appropriate context, is going to be pleasurable to the body, pleasing and satisfying to the body. That, in their appropriate context, there's nothing wrong with them. But if you get them out of context, they can destroy you. It's the point I want us to get out of it is. Don't fall into the extreme of thinking, well, anything that bring, brings me pleasure to my body, well, then it's wrong, and I need to feel guilty if I participate in it or 
or abstain from it. That's not that's not true. If it's in its appropriate biblical context and it brings pleasure, have it, right? Don't fall into the other extreme, though, of thinking, well, you know what? And, and this is the thing, and we can all think of some denominations. Some people, well, you know, you know you're just an old sinner saved by grace, and God knows you're going to sin every day. I'm going to tell you what, if you're sinning every day, something's wrong. You, need, you really need to do a heart check and say, am I even really born again if you are sinning every day? Now, I think that that misconception comes from uh, uh, one thing. I think a lot of people fail to differentiate between the fact that there's a difference between being tempted and sinning. Right? How many of you know that Jimmy, I'm just using you for example, he knows I'm not saying this, don't, don't shoot him when I get home. We didn't talk about anything. He didn't confess anything to me today, okay? The, if, if Jimmy, the devil could throw a thought at him, oh, man, do you see that cute little girl? She's making goo-goo eyes at you at the gas station. Whoo, I bet you could, I bet she'd want to hook up with a good-looking dude like you, right? Right? And Jimmy's like, uh-uh, ain't no way, man. I'm a man of God. And I wouldn't do anything that would disappoint God. And I got a beautiful wife at home and a beautiful family. And I'm not going to do anything to jeopardize my relationship with my God or to throw my family away. And it ain't worth my little girls calling some other dude daddy because I couldn't control myself, control what my body wanted, right? Okay, you understand this. He can have that temptation, but just because he was tempted doesn't mean it's a sin. Being tempted is not a sin. I'm telling you what, if you'll get a hold of this, some of you, if you'll get a hold of this, this will be a very liberating thing for you to get a hold of. You can be tempted to sin all day long, but to actually sin, you have to do it or want to do it, right? In, in this new age, you've got to want to do it. Now, something would be wrong if Jimmy said, Woo, man, I sure would like to do it, but I'm just not going to do it because if I do it, it would be bad. Well, then something's wrong with the heart. But you understand, it is not a sin to be tempted. I've said this before. Does the Bible say that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are? Right? So if being tempted was a sin, then Jesus sinned. But we know the Bible says Jesus didn't sin, but he was tempted to. So this is the thing. We need to keep our bodies in check. Galatians 5, and I'm going to read this real quick, 5, 19 through 21. It lists uh, the works of the flesh. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness. I don't have time to get into it right now, but this word uncleanness it means all types of sexual uncleanness. It means homosexuality, lesbianism, and fornication. That's exactly this, what this word means. Um, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries. And I like what my pastor in Huntington used to say. He'd say, some of you think, oh, praise God he didn't name my sin that says and the like and that means just in case we didn't name the particular particular sin you got into and the like stuff like that so <laughs> those are works of the flesh um and you understand this this is a good point some people make make the mistake of thinking that if someone is into you know a homosexual lifestyle that they got a demon how many of you ever heard that oh somebody got this says it's a work of the flesh. Now, you understand this? All works of the flesh left unchecked and unbridled can lead to demon possession. That means if you get over into hate, don't, and don't think we're talking about one, pick hatred. If you let yourself get over into hatred and operate in it long enough, you can open yourself up to demonic possession. All works of the flesh can open you up for that. Amen? But anyway, um, let's, but looking again at the significance of the body. Hallelujah. 
Turn to Matthew chapter 5 real quick. I want us to, what I want us to get out of this teaching is to realize that your body is not insignificant. That we don't want to fall into the habit of thinking, well, you know, because even, even us, uh, you know, and I hate to use these labels anymore, charismatics, word of faith people that realize the importance of, of um, you know, you've got to be born again and you've got to have your mind renewed. Because, you know, some denominations, all they focus on is new birth. New birth, new birth, new birth. Brother, you got to get born again. Got to get born again. And that's all. They beat that, ho- I mean, they beat that horse to death. And that's all they preach on. They don't ever even get over until you need to have your mind renewed. Right? They just say, get born again. That's why some of those denominations, you see a whole lot of people that are very carnal, that they're flesh ruled. You can't hardly tell. Are they saved or are they not saved because they're good old boys and they still go out and they like to drink and they like to have their little hoochie mama on the side and, and all except but they good but they good faithful church attenders, right? They never get into renewing your mind so you don't think the way the world thinks. Well how many of y'all know that that's where a lot of the word of faith people, charismatic people, we need to get on over into realizing the body is not inconsequential. Now I want to give you this scripture real quick. How many of y'all know I believe it's first, was it first Timothy chapter four? I'll give you this, you can stay there in Matthew. First Timothy chapter four, verse eight says bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable in all things. Now, this verse of Scripture, you know, it's been wrong. Many have wrongly interpreted this to mean bodily exercises of no profit. Amen? Some people read that and say, well, see, you know, Pastor Earl was sharing with me yesterday that uh, when he was going to Ramah, uh, there was a gentleman. It's so funny. We were looking through the yearbook. We were looking at our graduating class of, of Ramah. And he saw this one gentleman. He said, this gentleman right here, he said, I was up, he said, you know, over at the NRC at Raymond, they had a facility called the NRC, the Nanowski Recreation Center. It had basketball courts, racquetball courts, weight room, and an indoor track and everything. But it also had a cafeteria, and every day after school it would serve uh, lunch, a good lunch at a, at a reasonable price for the students. And so Pastor Earl and Pastor Marcy would go over a lot of times, several students, several hundred students every day would go over to the NRC to have lunch just because it was on the grounds and it was convenient and cheap. And so Pastor Marcy was there one day, and he, he said, see this guy right here said, um, uh, said uh, Marcy was, he said, Pastor Marcy was sitting and having lunch one day, and this guy said, well, where's your husband at uh, today, uh, Mrs. Glisson? And she's like, oh, well, he's upstairs working out. And he, she, she said, working out? I said, doesn't your husband read the Bible? And she's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to Bible school, going to ministry. Yeah, my husband does read the Bible. She goes, what, you know, what do you mean? He said, well, the Bible says that bodily exercise profits little. How many of y'all know this guy's, his interpretation is bodily exercise doesn't profit nothing, is what he's saying. I told Pastor Ross, I said, I just laughed and said, well, won't you talk, take that up with Pastor Hagen, because he's the one to put this great athletic facility here. Don't talk to me about it, right? But too many people think they say, well, bodily, profit, bodily exercise profits little, but God, God in his profits in all things having a promise in this life and the life to come, right? But it doesn't say that bodily exercise has no profit. Um, you understand this is that um, everything you can do to maintain the optimum performance of your body will help you fulfill your assignment in the kingdom. How many of y'all know uh, Brother Lester Summerall? This is going back. Brother Lester Summerall was uh, a mighty man of God, and he was, I, I believe, before World War II broke out, he was traveling through the mountains of China with Howard Carter, 
preaching to the Chinese villagers in the mountains of China, riding a donkey and walking a lot of places. How many of you know Paul, every place that Paul went, if he didn't go by ship, he walked there. If we look at the missionary journeys of Paul, he walked there. If Paul had let himself just completely go to the point that he was physically incapable of doing stuff, how much of a hindrance would that have been to his ministry? How many epistles, how many churches would not have been founded, and how many of the epistles that we have in the New Testament that we base our faith on would we not have because he allowed himself to get to the point where he was physically incapable of carrying out his mission? No, let's take a, I want to try to take a look at two more passages of scriptures real quick here. At Matthew chapter 5, and I want to start with verse 29. It says, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you, for one of your members... Uh, for one, for one of your members to perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole uh, body to go into hell. Um, and so I want us to take a look at this. You understand this? Uh, it says, if the King James Version says, if, one of, it's if your right eye offends you, the King James says, if your right hand offends you, that word offend, that's translated in the New King James here, it's translated um, causes you to sin. But in, go back, King James Version says, if your eye offends you, if your right hand offends you, that word offend, um, it uh, is a, a Greek word that we get our word scandalized from. I believe the word is scandalon. And so it's a, it's and that word scandal it actually means to entrap, that is to trip up figuratively to stumble, or entice to sin, apostasy or displeasure to make to sin. And so what Jesus is saying here, he said, if one of the members and you understand, keep it in its context. He's saying, one of the members of your body. Remember what I said earlier. Your body has a voice. Your flesh has a voice, and it always says too much. Too little excess. Give me, give me, give me, give me what feels good to me, and to the point that, and it'll, it, it will talk to you. Your flesh will talk to you. Jesus is, he's saying right here. He said it can entrap you. It can cause you to sin if we will listen to you. Your flesh. You understand this? If the, if you, if the devil, if you never had another temptation by the devil for the rest of your life, your flesh can talk to you enough to get you in trouble to the point that what did Jesus say? It can cause you. Your flesh alone. If you'll listen to this voice, can talk to you enough to where it can cause you to sin to the point where your whole body be cast into hell. It's important that we keep this thing in check. Amen. And I, I want to take a look at one more passage of scripture here. And I want to see that that's on the handout. If left unchecked, third thing on the handout. If left unchecked, the desires of your body can cause you to sin to the point of being cast into hell. I want to take a look at First Corinthians chapter nine real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read this to you in the Amplified Translation. Uh, the New King James, Paul says, I discipline my body. Now remember, he's saying I. He's talking about the real him, his spirit man. He said, I discipline my body. The Amplified Translation says, But like a boxer, I buffet my body. I buffet my body. 
And I used to, I'll joke and say, Paul used to say he'd buffet his body. B-U-F-F-E-T. Paul said he'd buffet his body daily. No, he said he buffeted. And that word buffet, it literally means to strike repeatedly over and over and over. It says, but like a boxer, I buffet my body. I handle it roughly. I discipline it by hardships and subdue it for fear that after proclaiming to others the gospel of things pertaining to it, I myself should become unfit, not stand the test, be unapproved, and rejected as a counterfeit. Wow. Paul is saying that Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 6 that your body, that, your, that he used the example of your eye and that your hand could offend you or it could entrap you, ensnare you, entice you to sin to, that left unchecked to the point that it extreme that it could cause your whole body to be cast in hell because the, the desires of your flesh, what your flesh wanted to do. Remember there in, in Philippians chapter 3, I've mentioned this scripture before that Paul said, he said, I'm telling you now, uh, he said, I tell you to imitate us and follow us who are followers of Christ. He said, I tell you now, as I've told you in times past, and I tell you again weeping, that there are those who are uh, enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. And that actually just means their appetites for other things, and it can, it, and it can literally actually apply to the desires of your flesh. That their end is destruction. Jesus said that if you allow the voice of your body to go unchecked, that it can ultimately end up in your, in your destruction when it runs its course. And Paul's saying here, look, I have come to recognize that, and this is in Romans. I had this passage of Scripture. We're just not going to have time to look at it this evening. That he, he says very clearly what I mentioned earlier. Your spirit is always going to want to do things to please God. Your, your flesh is always going to want to do until it's redeemed and you have a glorified body. This earth suit we've got right now is always going to want to do things that's contrary uh, to the will of God. And Paul saying, look, I handle my body roughly. That's on the handout. He says, Paul said he buffeted his body, which means he handled it roughly. In other words, you have got to act. You've got to realize we have to actively be addressing this is that realize your body's a tool. It's a tool that the real you, your spirit, is to use to accomplish your assignment in the kingdom here on earth. And you're going to have to handle it rough. I mean, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to smack it around. I buff it. He's saying, I, I smack it around. I punch that thing. Why? Because if you leave it unchecked, you understand this. If you, it doesn't take any effort for stuff to float downstream. But if you're going to swim upstream then there's resistance. You're, it takes, it takes uh, actual effort. I remember telling someone one time, I said, you know, they say go with the flow. Now, I'm not talking about going with the flow of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit gets the flow, and amen, you go with Him. But go with the flow when they were talking about in culture, uh, in the culture of, in our society. Well, you know, I just go with the flow. I said, yeah, that's what garbage does. Yeah, I grew up in West Virginia. A lot of people would throw their trash out on the banks along 12 Pole Creek in Wayne County. And then when the spring floods would come and the creek get out of its bank, it'd pick up, a, you know, you'd look down the creek. And when you got to the bridge, there'd be 10 million milk jugs piled up where people just threw their trash. And I said, he said, oh, well, you know, I'm just easy, man. I go with the flow. And I'm like, yeah, trash does too. Garbage does. And what I'm saying is, you understand, left unchecked, you do not have to do stuff deliberately to try to get yourself in a mess with your body. It'll just come back. If, if the day we stop actively resisting what the voice of your flesh is saying to you, it, you you're just going with the flow. And it doesn't take any, and, and it's not that you are doing, that you're actively doing anything to get wrong. 
you're just not act, you're not just getting rough with it. You've got to get rough with it. You've got to t- no. My spirit man is stronger than this. No, I'm not going to no no devil. I'm not. I'm going to get up. I, you know what? I'm going to get up a little early so I can have my Bible devotion. You know what, devil? I'm tired. My eyes are getting heavy. But you know what? Bless God. I'm going to stay up and I'm going to get my Bible reading in and have some time of prayer and worshiping the God, the Lord. Well, you know this is the thing. I don't get legalistic. Some people are morning people. Some people are evening people. If you can get up early, if you can get up earlier and get your Bible reading in, that helps you better through the day because you're getting any fresh during the whole day. But if you're a, if you're a night person, stay up a little bit later and get it. But talk rough to your body. No, no, you want that, Pastor Cheyenne? I've said this before. She's got it, man. She's got it down. It, it, she's, I mean, she, she, and she'll talk rough to it. No, no. Dessert, you know, she, she'll be eating something, and, and right in the middle of it, she'll go, mm, that, man, that's good. You know, you know, you eat to the point where you get satisfied, and you go, oh, man, this is so good, I want to eat some more. And she'll like, no, I mean, I've seen it before. She'll go, no, she'll put her fork down right in the middle of it. Nope, nope, I ain't going to do that. Nope. Dessert, we'll go out someplace. I'm like, hey, baby, you want some dessert? I'm hoping she says yes, because she says yes. It makes me think, ooh, I can get some now, too, right? Or at least have a bite of hers. she goes, go, yeah, I want it, but I'm not going to let myself do it. Now, she's not that way all the time. You understand? She's not like some nut job or something, right? Amen. She's not crazy. But you understand that, but she'll talk rough to it. I used to think, man, who are you mad at? I just asked you, you want a piece of cake? What's up with that? You know? And she wasn't talking to me. She's talking to her flesh. Oh, I, I, yeah, I want it, but I'm not going to let my body, my body wants it, but I'm not going to let it have it. Like I said, I'm not saying you never let yourself have stuff like that. But I'm just saying, and, and I don't mean to be putting Pastor Cheyenne up on a pedestal, right? Although I do esteem her highly, right? Amen. I married her, I do esteem her highly. What I'm saying is, you ha- get rough with it. And this is the thing. It, some people it might be food. Some people it might be, you know, your body likes entertainment. Right? Your body likes to be entertained. Oh, I like some entertainment. You might need to get rough with it. Say, no. Lord, bless God, I'm not sitting down to watch an hour and a half movie. As a matter of fact, body, we're going to get down on the floor, and I'm going to pray in the Holy Ghost for an hour and a half. How you like that? Right? You need to get rough with it, because this is the thing. If I'll say it this way, and I'm going to wrap this If you don't get rough with your body, your body get rough with you. Right? Let's take a look. I want to make sure. Hallelujah. We didn't have time to get Bodily exercise does have some profit in James 3, 2. We might take a look at this. We'll touch back on some of this. It says, if you can bridle your tongue, you can bridle your whole body. Amen. That should encourage you. If you, if we can get to the point where you can bridle your tongue, it, it's, it's like if you can whoop the biggest man in the room, all the rest of them are going to respect you. How many of you know in your body, even though it's the littlest member of your body, one of the littlest members of your body, it's one of the rowdiest. If you can, if you can, if you can get that tongue under control, guess what? The rest of the body is going to be intimidated. What's the best way to get your tongue under control? Man, get filled with the Holy Ghost and pray in the Spirit. That's why. That's why the devil hates the message of, of bad, you know, hates the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, because he knows as long as he can keep people's tongues tripping them up, then they, they ain't got a chance of whooping him with nothing else. Hallelujah. So I want to ask you these questions. You can go ahead and.